listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. And if you don't have a Bible this morning, ushers are walking the aisles with Bibles. We would love for everyone to have a copy of God's Word in their hands as we'll be looking at his beautiful, amazing book this morning, this love letter that he's written to us. And so please take your Bibles, open them, and, uh, or else turn them on if it's on your tablet or phone. And uh, we'll be looking at Ephesians 6 in a moment as well. Well, for the kids in our service today, welcome. Make sure you're paying attention. There's a lot of stuff you can learn today in God's Word. As well, there are kids' packs being passed out for you this morning. And uh, that you can follow along. You can write down some things, but also keep somewhat um, your hands perhaps a little bit busy during this time in doing some fun things as we work through this. And so, you guys ready? You ready for this? You ready for God's Word? You ready? Bible's open. Let's see. Bible's open. Raise, raise up your Bibles. Come on, your Bibles, tablets, phones, whatever. Lots. Not enough. Next week, bring more. Bring your Bibles if you don't have one at home. If you don't have one at home, take one of these Bibles home with you. It's an amazing book, and uh, we're excited about it. And, um, and then, ushers, if you could just make sure that um, they turn on the air conditioning in here. I think it's a little warm, especially after that worship. We don't want anyone falling asleep. I'd rather have uncomfortable and cold than comfortable and falling asleep today, okay? So make sure they get that air conditioning cranked in here so that even strangers might want to hug each other because you're so cold by the end of the service, all right? So let's get into God's Word. And so we're in this sermon series called This Is Us, and we're looking at certain practices and, and convictions that we have as followers of Christ that are especially important as we believe to us as a church, but, but not simply just to us at Hope Church, but for any church, we see that these are vital convictions and that we need to, to not just allow to become routine in our lives, but these are our, our impact convictions and practices in our lives, not just in our minds, but in our actions. And so one of the core pillars that we have as our church, one important one that we have at Hope Bible Church and, and that we have across the Great Commission Collective churches, 130 of us, and getting ready for a bunch of more fall launches this year uh, in Canada and around the world, and, and is this conviction about prayer. And, and you'll see it here on one of our banners, and, and you'll see it on the screen. We believe firmly in the power of prayer. Sometimes this, this pillar or this conviction is also summarized as fervent prayer or unceasing prayer. And, and this verse or this conviction is connected to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18. And, and it's going to appear on the screen and then it's going to appear and disappear because then you're going to look at it from the Word of God. We're going to digest. We're going to, God's Word is like a sponge, isn't it? Like if you get a nice soaking wet sponge, you can hold it and, and basically that water is contained there. But then we get to squeeze that sponge and we just get to squeeze uh, uh, you know the water whatever's in that sponge and and that's why God it's just so squeezable and so teachable and so amazing and so um, here here's the verse verse 18 praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints this is one of our missional verses that we have as a church as a movement of churches that we would be a people a church family a community of prayer and, and, and we hold dearly to this and you see prayer is the place where we most exemplify being strong in the Lord we can have a great knowledge of the word of God but if it's not combined with a prayer and a dependency and a humility before God in prayer we're weak 
Because prayer makes us strong. That's where we find our spiritual strength. Paul Miller from Desiring God in in his book, he said, if you are not praying, then you are quietly confident that time, money, and talent are all you need in life. It's basically saying, I don't need you, God. I've got this. Isn't it funny, though, when we run out of time, when we run out of money, when we run out of, you know, our own resources, that's oftentimes when we pray. Would we see that we are desperate people, that we need to be people of prayer? J.D. Greer said this, prayerlessness is the proof either of extreme arrogance, that I don't need God, or it's unbelief, that I don't think that God will really, truly help or is able to help, or able to answer. Or we think that there are human answers to the issues that we're facing, so we just muscle through it. We just power through and say, I've got this, I've got this, rather than turning to God and inviting God into the situation. But prayer declares our dependency upon God. And the Bible is full of instructions, commands, challenges, encouragement, and to pray, but also it's filled with all kinds of prayers, example prayers. Brett read one of those prayers as part of our worship that that Paul gave in Ephesians chapter 3. And the Bible is full of these instructions. And and, and, uh, all of us, no doubt, have have you ever witnessed answered prayer? What do we have? A bunch of, okay, come on. Yeah, a little exercise in church. I've asked you to raise your hand twice. Good. Okay, so you, you've witnessed answered prayer. That is awesome that, that, that God has done that. And, and, and when he answers our prayer, and especially when he really comes through in a situation, it really amps us up and excites us to pray more, doesn't it? We rejoice when we get excited when, and, and so thankful when our prayers are answered in a very clear and a decisive way. And, and usually it's in the way that we want, right? That we get quite, when God says no, we don't quite see it quite as clearly as when he says yes and gives us what we've been praying for. Last summer, um, some of you um, will remember this. Darren and Sabine have a young uh, cousin of theirs in Germany. And I think we have a picture of him. He was laying on a skateboard and rolled out on a street and got hit by a car and dragged 40 meters by a car. His injuries were so severe that things were not looking good for him. They were getting ready to insert a, a permanent breathing tube so he could breathe, figured a wheelchair would be his the rest of his life, that, that just, I mean, and even if he was even going to survive. And we had a prayer night right around this time. We have another prayer night this Wednesday night. And it was a very special time, I'll remember, I, I won't forget that prayer night, it was a very special night, and those that were there would probably remember this, as it just seemed God's presence, and God's just, I, it was just very real, as people got real before God, and we prayed, and we were asking God to work, and Darren shared this, this prayer request for his, this cousin, for, for David. And that room there, we were in the gym at our church office, and it became more like a birthing room in praying and calling out, God, would you please work, would you save this life, would you heal, would you restore, would you do a great and mighty work in David's life? And it was later on that night that they got word from Germany that that night he took such a turn for the good. And it, 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 his recovery at that point changed. And we, I, I'm not going to say it was all of our prayer. It was people praying around the world. And it was God's people praying. When God's people pray, God moves. And that young boy, now here, here's a picture. Sabine was just there a few weeks ago. And here's this young guy. The doctors see him, and he's the miracle baby. They can't explain, or not the miracle baby, the miracle boy. They can't explain what took place, how that happened. He should not have survived, let alone be as, as functional and, and has recovered as, as he has. It, it's amazing. And um, 
And, and so we rejoice in that, and we hear that, and it pumps us up, and it's like, yes, that's awesome. I want to I be part of prayers like that, where, where we see God come through, and, and we get excited. And yet, sadly, so oftentimes, if we were to be honest, we believe in the power of prayer, but it's oftentimes not our experience, right? And so, true confession here this morning, church, good place to have some confession, and, and maybe this would be your confession here this morning, I stink at prayer. And you just say, I stink. Like, I can do a lot of things. I'm, I, you know, God's given me some talents and some gifts, and I have some knowledge, and I love to read the word and study the word, but I stink at prayer. I, I, I won't ask you for another confession of raising hands because I see how tired out you are already getting in raising your hands here this morning. So, but I, I, I would venture to guess that if we were to be honest, most of us would say, yeah, I struggle. I feel untrained. I feel like a failure in this area. I feel so guilty. I feel so ashamed. I know I should pray, but I don't. I just, I just can't. And, and we read about Jesus rising early to pray. We read about him spending a night in prayer when he was facing major decisions. Or we hear, we read the stories of, of, of great men and women of God, the biographies where you hear that guys like George Mueller got up at 4 a.m. to spend three hours a day in prayer. And then in his journal, he would write, I have an extra busy day tomorrow. Lots on the plate, lots to ask God for. I'll get up at three and spend four hours in prayer. And say, I want to be like that. And so you, you, you desire to get up early and spend this time in prayer. And after 45 seconds, you are just like, I've prayed through everything. Is that anyone's experience? You ever experienced that? No. And so we say we stink at prayer and, and, and it's a struggle and it's a battle or perhaps maybe you have a strong corporate prayer life. You've learned the lingo. You've been in church long enough and so you can pray in circles. You can pray, you know, at fuel up time, at prayer nights, at small group or different things and, and, and you can pray a pretty good prayer. But your personal life stinks at prayer. Again, might that be what could be true in our lives here. We've mastered a degree of elegance or eloquence in our prayer, but on our own, we would say, I stink at it. Or maybe perhaps you have a good routine of prayer. You have a prayer list. You have a prayer journal, and, and, and you write down prayer requests, and every day for years, perhaps, maybe even decades, you've, you, you've been disciplined in praying for those people and for those situations, and that's so awesome and so good, but if you were to be honest, you'd say, it's so mechanical. It's so rote, I know that I am supposed to pray and not give up, and so I'm doing that, but it's repetitive, it's almost mindless, you're just able to do it, and it just seems like a ritual, and it's just like, well, I guess it's better than nothing, at least I'm praying. And so we just settle with the idea, I guess I stink at prayer, but it's okay to be part of a church, but I'm a part of a church that believes firmly in the power of prayer, so that makes us feel a little bit better. So easily, I think we can think that way. But here is perhaps another true confession that, that I would hope would be so resembling, uh, so, would so resemble this room here this morning, is this desire, I want to pray more. I want to pray more, and I want to pray better prayers. I want to be a person of prayer. There is that longing and desire in you to pray. And honestly, if you are a believer in Christ today, you should have that desire because the Holy Spirit is in you, and he wants to talk to you. And, and, and you talk to him, and so... It is a great privilege and a great opportunity and, and it is a call that we have as believers to be people of prayer. That we want to live a life of transforming prayer, an intimacy, a closeness with God that you hear about and you see and, and, and people, other people will give testimony about, but it just has not as of yet been your experience. And so this morning, we want to talk about a prayer-infused life, give you some practical, practical ways that you can walk out of here today and start to take and apply God's word, and I trust, see 
answers and victories and intimacy grow and develop in this area of transforming prayer. There's a restaurant I like to visit from time to time. It's actually just outside these doors, and it was there this week, and they have this really good infused water. And every day they have a different flavor in there. This day I think it was mango, pineapple, and mint. And that water kind of bubbles and swirls around in there and those nice flavors and, and it's nice and cold and you drink that and like, oh, it's so flavorful. That's such a good way to drink water. Charlotte will oftentimes do this at our house, especially when we have guests over, um, just so that they don't think we're super cheap and not, you know, serving some fancy drink and, you know, just boring water. So she makes some flavored water. And it's awesome. I save it like for days afterwards. I keep adding to it because I love the flavor of it. Or at the mall, you can go to this, this store, this olive oil store, and find various flavors where they infuse olive oil with various uh, herbs and, and flavors in order to dip, in order to use for cooking, and it's pretty cool. It's kind of like Costco with all the free samples. You go around there and show some interest in the oil, and you can eat up all the bread you want. It's wonderful, except if you're on the keto diet, I guess it doesn't work so well for you. Anyways, um, but then, this one is the most awesome of all, is garlic-infused roast beef. Amen? Amen. And some of you are like, oh, I, I, and, and maybe don't keep that on too long. There's going to be so much drool and it's going to be coming down here with the slanted floor that it's just not going to be so good here, you know. And, and so here you take, and I'll put it back up for one second. You take and you insert those cloves, those mighty cloves of garlic into the roast and you cook it and then it just, oh, that roast beef just has that wonderful garlic infused flavor. Love it. And they better take it off because we want them to be hungry for the word now. Uh, anyways, uh, these things are awesome, but, but how much more and how much more life-giving and transforming and eternity-altering is a life that is infused with prayer. How much victory is ours just waiting for us to be able to live in, walk in, grow in as we are people with a prayer-infused life. A life that can, can, can consists of, yes, taking that daily, as you want to call it, quiet time, that devotional time, as we oftentimes call it here, our God time daily, to spend time in the Word and to spend time in prayer and to carve out, I trust, a growing intimacy with God in that way, that, that on the days that we miss it, it would feel like how we would miss going for a day without food. We would feel hungry and empty and say, hey, I need to fill myself with the word of God here and, and fill myself with some prayer. So, so yes, there's that dedicated time to meet with God on an ongoing basis. As we see in scriptures, the pattern and the encouragement, we see that in the life of Jesus. We see it in the life of Daniel. But also, not just a Hey, God, see in the morning, and then we check in late at night when we're, before our head hits the pillow and before we start sawing logs, you know, and, and, and it's an all-day connection with God, a prayer-infused life throughout the day, whether things are going well, whether they're not going well, an ongoing conversation, a life infused with prayer. And so this morning, as we look at these verses here in Ephesians, or this verse in Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to see here in a few moments, but we're not going to get there quite yet because there's more of the sponge we need to squeeze out first before we get there. But we're going to see today five ways or instructions, five practical ways that we can proclaim Christ through a prayer-infused life. These are the ways that, that God gets the glory. We proclaim Christ 
when we are a people of prayer, when we live a prayer-infused life. But in order to understand it, we need to look, first of all, at, at, at the verses ahead of this. We have to understand the context in which Paul was writing this because, once again, context is key. Is key, As the King family would say, context is king. In their household, they may say it like that, but we need to understand the context in which this was written. And just to give a bro- brief overview, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians to the church in Ephesus. And he wrote to encourage them, to teach them, to remind them of believers of some beautiful, some rich, deep gospel truths, and then he gave them some some very strong guidelines, directions, information that would help them in their personal walk with God and help them as a church. And so the first three three chapters of of the book, Paul reminds them of all that God has done for us in Christ. And, And then the rest of the letter from chapter four to chapter six is how we can practically live out the gospel. The first three chapters is just gospel-enriched truth of of, of what Christ has done and what that means as followers followers of Christ. The last number of chapters deal with how we can live it out in our relationships, all in the power of the Holy Spirit, being daily filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, going in His power and His strength, as we read about in Ephesians 5. But then, at the end of the letter, chapter 6, Paul is talking about spiritual warfare. Before that, he talked about how does the gospel get played out in marriage, in children in relationships with our children. He talks about our employee-employer relationships. But in chapter 6, he gets talking about spiritual warfare, and he tells us that uh, some very important truths here. And, and, and we must understand that to live for Christ, to live the Christian life, to move forward, to walk in obedience, to experience his power, his victory, it also means it, we become massive targets for the enemy. He's going to come on full center. The moment you decide to get serious about coming to church, you, let's say church hasn't been part of your life, you're going to have so many distractions Saturday night, Sunday morning. You're going to have battles Driving, you're going to have battles walking in a room like this. When you get serious about prayer in different areas of your life, you just know when you say yes to God, when you say yes, I want to be obedient to get baptized and follow God in this way, you just expect the battle, the discouragement, the, um, just the attacks to come one way or the other. The devil wants, we're huge targets for him, especially when we say yes to God and say no to sin in any area of our life. And so we must recognize, um, and this is really important, that first of all, we must recognize we are in a battle. We must recognize this, that, that the battle is strong, the battle is real. And, and so let's follow along. We're going to read in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10, starting at verse 10. And it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. If you're an underliner in your Bible, underline that word whole. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And so Paul is telling us, hey folks, wake up. Wake up. You've got to realize we are in a spiritual battle. There is a devil. He is real. He's just not seen in the Hollywood movies. He's not a fiction kind of character in, in Hollywood. He is real. There are demons. The Bible teaches this very clearly. They're not fiction or fantasy and, and something that we ought to not take lightly. That's why you don't dabble in the, witch, in the old cult, in any sort of form of witchcraft. Have nothing to do with it. Nothing. Whether it's books, movies, games, whatever, if it has anything to do with the devil, you're giving him a foothold in your life. Stop it. The devil is real. He's a real enemy. And he knows how to attack us. 
He and his forces are real, well-organized, powerful, and scheming for our destruction. But the devil doesn't ever show up to us. Usually, he wouldn't show up to any of us and say, hey, follow me, <laughs> and breathe fiery stuff out of his mouth. He's not going to show up like that. He's going to be way more subtle than that. He's going to appear in movies and TV and popular culture telling us that romantic love and sexual pleasure are the keys to fulfillment in life. He's going to be the one behind the economic system that teaches that money is the key to success and happiness. He's the one who sits in the psychologist's chair offering ultimate hope in life apart from God. He's the one teaching from pulpits that life is all about you, that God wants to make you rich, that hell is not real, and, and, and that the standards laid out in the Bible are just kind of old-fashioned and out of date. Let's contemporize things a little bit. He's behind that. He's real. Those are some of the subtle ways that he attacks her. Here's another one. You can be going throughout the day, and this happens to me all the time. Going through the day, la-di-da-da, it's a good day, it's a good day, it's a good day, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, one thought, one word from someone, one action, and kaboom! You ever get like that? Now you're angry. <laughs> now those are, are fight. I was having a good day until you said that. Anyone relate to that? Or else it's like this gripping fear that has all of a sudden overcome your life and is just plays and plays. You're having a good day. You're worshiping the Lord. And all of a sudden, one thought, one. And all of a sudden, it's like that hamster on the wheel and it just drives you nuts because it just won't stop. And it makes a crazy ticking sound in your head. And boom, you're discouraged. It destroys relationships. It is so frustrating. Gets you all riled up. And you see, there's something bigger when that is happening that's going on in the spiritual realm. Those are part of the well-organized attacks and schemes of the enemy. And so, a warning, the devil is real and his schemes are subtle and we have to be so careful. And if there's even a more serious warning in this, the more serious you are about following Christ, living in obedience, I've already stated this, but you have to understand, Satan will turn up the heat. You want to live a life of a, a, a prayer-infused life, get ready for distraction and discouragement and stuff to hit this week. Satan and his forces are powerful and they are at work to derail, discourage, destroy followers in Christ. But thanks be to God, he has a victory, amen? We don't have to fear. He is greater than the enemy. Our God has won the ultimate and will one day put the devil forever in his place. Thanks be to God, we do have the victory through Jesus Christ. And so we must proclaim through, we can proclaim Christ through a prayer-infused life, recognizing we are in the battle, but also the next thing we must understand here is that we have provisions that are given to us for the battle. God has given us provisions. Now, so much today we are hearing, protect the head. We need to protect our heads, and, and, and if you play a certain sport, you, you, you have to wear, oftentimes, head protection as well as other equipment for those sports. And uh, to, to not wear the right equipment or not wear equipment at all, you're putting yourself in some danger. 
Just a little bit of a side note about myself. Uh, back in the day, I had quite an illustrious hockey career for a while. Um, I actually played in the CHL. A lot of you didn't know that. Um, in Regina and Saskatoon, yeah, the CHL, the Church Hockey League. And um, it was quite a league. It should have probably been called the PHL, which is the Pagan Hockey League, because many of those guys really needed Jesus by the way they played hockey. And um, I remember one time, though, in a hurry, running late, and, and we were short of players, and they're like, Luther, hurry up, get ready, get ready. And, and I was getting my equipment on, and I forgot to insert the cup for the strap. Guys will know what that means, and probably most of you ladies too. And, and I thought, and, and I get out on the ice, I'm in a big hurry, and all of a sudden the, the cool breeze is blowing, and I'm thinking, ah, oh, I'm not protected. This is not good. And because we were short of players, the dressing room was locked, we had to play two periods before the ice got cleaned and we could go to the dressing room. I played rather tentatively, cautiously, and gingerly for those two periods, uh, more than I usually did, uh, because I wasn't fully protected. I was aware that there's a problem and I better be careful. Well, folks, God has provided for us spiritual armor and protection for us in the battle. And oftentimes, we're not putting it on. We're going in and through life unprotected. And we must put on the spiritual armor. And see, this is why it's so important. Before we get to our key verse today, we have to put on the armor. We have to understand this in the full context of what we see. And so we're going to quickly work through these important verses. And so we need to armor up. And so verse 13, once again, if you're an underliner, get your pen out. Therefore, take up, again, underline that word, the whole armor of God. We just saw that in verse 10, but when we get a repeat like that, it must be important. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the day of evil. And having done all to stand firm, stop there for a second. We stand strong by being ready, by readying ourselves to pray, by putting on the whole armor, leaving no part for the enemy to be able to attack, leaving no part of us vulnerable. Look at verse 14, it goes on. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. This was the first thing the Roman soldier would put on. He would put the belt around his waist because the belt connected the other parts of the armor together. If he connected the belt properly, the rest of the armor would not come unraveled, it would not come undone, and it would keep everything else in place so that he could go out in a battle, fall on the ground, roll, whatever, that belt was going to keep everything connected. And so you put on, Paul says, the belt of truth. The belt of truth for us as believers is what? It's the word of God. And, 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 and for us, it's so important when our ambitions, our emotions, our thinking, our actions. We must take all of those and connect them to the word of God so that even in the fiercest battles and the temptations and the struggles, our lives won't unravel. We put on daily. We need to put on the word of God. It goes on the last part of verse 14. It says, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate is, is like what our police Military will, will wear these days like a bulletproof vest. It, it protects the vital organs going from basically the bottom of the neck right down to the stomach, to below the stomach, protecting the vital organs. And so they would put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now, there are two 
aspects to the breastplate of righteousness that we see here in Ephesians 6. There's imputed. You might want to write this down. This is important stuff. Imputed righteousness. It's not in the notes but, or on the screen, but you can write it down. I have confidence in you. There's imputed righteousness and practical righteousness. Okay, got to understand this. There's the, the imputed righteousness that is given to us from God. When we come to an understanding and make a decision in our hearts by faith, understanding God's love, his sacrifice that he made towards us in sending his son Jesus to this earth who lived a perfect life, fully God, fully man, lived in perfect obedience here on this earth, died a willing and sacrificial substitutionary death upon the cross, absorbing the wrath of God, being separated from God, so that, and, and that was all that our sins re- deserved. That's what we deserve because of our sins. But then he rose on the third day in victory, conquering sin and death once and for all and giving us the promise of eternal life. And when you or anyone, when we believe in that truth and respond to Christ in that way, By faith, accepting him as our Lord and our Savior, and we say, I'm done with my ways, I'm done with sin, and I want to follow his ways. We are saved, we are justified, we are forgiven, we're on our way to heaven, and God imputes, that's this imputed righteousness, he puts his righteousness upon us. So that when God looks upon us, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. That's imputed righteousness, transferred to us because of Christ's sacrifice. But now we have positional or practical, or or that's positional righteousness, but then we have practical daily righteousness. This is as we walk in daily obedience to the word of God. As Paul says, we just don't go out and sin so that grace may abound. No, we we don't want to have, we want to be done with sin. We want to turn from it. We want to reject it in our lives. And we want to pursue his righteousness, his holiness, his purity, his obedience. We want to worship him. We want to sacrifice, give of ourselves to him because of what he has done. This is ways that then we walk in practical or daily righteousness. And so with imputed and practical righteousness, we have this breastplate that protects us against the accusations, the condemnations that the devil will bring to try to knock us down. And just just a note on this, that when we walk in willful disobedience to God's word, I know God's word says this, but it's very easy for the devil to pound us down and keep us in his grip. We must confess those areas. We must, must turn from those areas. Look, look at verse 15 as it goes on. And, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Soldiers would wear certain sandals that basically had almost like little studs in them, kind of like we have cleats today. Some of the guys needed that for soccer yesterday. There was a bit of a soccer game going on. And so if you see some of these young guys walking around in pain and, and, and difficulty today, it's because they were playing a sport that they're not very good at. Um, uh, I played and I'm not very good at it. And, uh, and, and, and some proper traction would have helped, especially there was a lot of goose 
stuff on the grass, and that would have greatly helped with that as well. And yet, here, the Roman soldiers, they would wear sandals that had studs on them that would give them traction. And, and what does he talk about? Shoes having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. This means we are to busy ourselves, move forward, something uphill through t- tough terrain with our shoes on in advance of the gospel, that we are to live our lives not for our mission, but for his mission, for the advance of the gospel. And then verse 16, it continues on. We're working quickly through the armor here. It says, and in all circumstances, take the shield of faith with which you can is- extinguish half of the flaming darts of the evil one. What does your Bible say? Oh, oh yeah. Extinguish all of them. Every dart, every accusation that comes our way, we, they can be extinguished. How? Through the shield of faith. This means when the lies, the discouragements, the attacks, the setbacks come, we trust the Lord and his promises by faith. God, I'm down on the mat. I don't know what to do. I'm in a tight spot here, but your word says this. And so I'm going to trust you and I'm going to, by faith, believe your word. When, this, when Satan loves to remind you of your past sins and just make you think that look at all the waste, look at all the way that you messed up and screwed things up in that relationship or here or there or whatever, and he just wants to pound you down on the carpet. You say, in Christ I am a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Or when we think, we hear those words, you're such a loser, such a failure, you did it again. You said you wouldn't and you did it again. Nothing good will ever come of your life spiritually. God's not going to strengthen. He's not going to empower. He's not going to forgive you. Those are lies. And we hold up the shield of faith. We cling to and hold to the promises of the word of God. That's why the word of God is so important. And then verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Again, we hear protect the head. It's so important that we protect the head. Wear your helmets, helmets, parents say, to their young children, whether they're out on their bikes or whether they're on skateboards or um, scooters. There we go. I was going to say, yeah, something else, that's for sure. I didn't know what I was going to say exactly. Wear your helmet. Protect your head. And in the same way we must protect our, 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 in the same way we protect our physical heads, we must protect our spiritual heads, our minds. Constantly remembering, recalling Christ and all that he's done for us. The helmet of salvation, remember who we are in Christ, our identity in him, what he's accomplished for us. May his truth, the truth of our salvation, the truth of the gospel, dominate our thinking. And then it says, and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. The word of God is a deadly, powerful weapon used to destroy the enemy. You read about Jesus when he was being tempted by the devil in Matthew 4. Love that. I mean, he's facing this this temptation. The devil's coming hard after him. And what did Jesus do? He just like, and he just like goes at him and he turns him into an ash heap, right? Did did he do that? Did he do that in your version? No, he didn't. He could have. That would have been awesome. You know, just like once and for all, just, you know, and and he could have. You ever seen too much Iron Man or Marvel movies or something? I don't know. You know, but he could have. But what did he do? Jesus fought off the devil in the same way that we are to fight off the devil. What did he do? He used the word of God. 
And he sets that example. I mean, he, he could have chosen other ways to do it, but he shows us the example of what we ought to do when we are facing the enemy. And, and we are to take his word. That's why it's so important that we are in the word, we know the word, we memorize the word of God. That's why we tell you, bring your Bibles here on Sunday and may it just, just whet your appetite to read in it more and to study it and to take these verses home and, 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 and the extra ones that get written down so that, that you can follow along and, and study God's word. Be a person of the word. Memorize the word. Have, have, have the weapons ready when, when he comes against us. And so Paul is using the spiritual armor analogy he, he wasn't really introducing something new. All of this was, was basically, you know, summarizing now each piece of the armor is a way of applying what he's been talking about in the first five chapters. And, and in reality, you could even write, as, as I've written this week in my study Bible that I studied home beside the armor of God, I wrote the gospel. Because basically the armor of God is all about the gospel. The gospel all over our lives, over our waist, our heart, our head, our, our, our minds, every part of us, our feet, wherever we go, our hands, that the gospel would be a part of our lives. And so we put on this spiritual army, armor, and when we've put on this spiritual armor, we can stand against the attacks that are going to come. With the armor on, we are now ready to pray. This is now bringing us to this important verse in verse 18, our text today. And what does it say? Basically, with all of this armor on now, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. With the armor on daily, we're putting on the word of God. We're putting on these truths. We're, we're, we're strapping on every part of this armor. We're ready to go in an atmosphere, an aura, a DNA of prayer. We move forward. Prayer is that secret weapon. It's what empowers us. It's what strengthens us. It's what encourages us. It's what reminds us. It's what we use to push forth in spiritual victory towards spiritual victory in our lives. And so five instructions we have here. I encourage you to write these down. We're going to work through these quickly. Five instructions for proclaiming Christ through a prayer-infused life. And the first thing I encourage you to write down, pray all the time. What does he tell us here? Praying at all times. Paul tells us, pray at all times. This was a common theme in the early church and in all of Paul's writings. In Acts 2, we see the early, the young church, the new church. What were they? Half-hearted in prayer? No, they were devoted to prayer. And they saw God do incredible things as they were devoted to prayer. Again, we can say we are people of prayer here at Hope Bible Church, but are you a person of prayer? Do you take advantage of the 845 prayer times that we have here? We call it fuel up. Get yourself ready. Get, get others ready as we pray for God to work here in the Sunday morning service. We want to be people of prayer. Th this Wednesday night, could we have 60, 70, 80% of you show up to come? I know some of you can't because of certain things going on, but maybe some commitments need to be changed in order for us to be people committed to pray, to be like that early church, devoted to prayer. Prayer in our small groups, prayer before meetings, after meetings, in the middle of meetings. In, in Romans 12, Paul said, be constant in prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. Colossians 4, 2, pray steadfastly. Just as natural as breathing is to our lungs, to our body, may prayer be to our spiritual lives. Do you have to tell yourself to breathe? 
I did a few times yesterday, running it out on the soccer field. And it was just like, okay, keep breathing, keep breathing. I even told, I think Trevor, he, he was almost losing it. And, and I said, I know, like, I just stopped breathing. My, I think my heart's stopping, like, for certain times here. And it gets really heavenly for a few seconds. And then, uh, then I start breathing again, and then it's not. And I don't feel so good, you know. Uh, that part's not completely true, but that's the way I felt. I mean, it's just like, breathe, breathe, breathe. Do you tell yourself, do you tell your heart to tick, tick, tick? No. It's just natural. It happens. In the same way, prayer ought to be just that natural outflow and reaction in our lives. It's not just carved out five minutes in the morning or 12 minutes or 17, whatever, or an hour, whatever it might be, or five minutes before your head starts to dream at night, but constant in prayer. Pray all the time. Pray when we're driving, pray. Well, pr- that's why we're also to watch and pray. So, you know, pray with one eye open. You don't have to have your eyes closed in order to pray. So we just do that because, well, so we cut out distractions in our lives. And, uh, you know, that we're not distracted by what we see or, or, or other things like that. You don't have to close your eyes. We can pray when, and when we're washing dishes, when we're cutting grass, when we're working out. While we're at work. Keep working. I mean, you can't say to your boss, hey, how come you get this? Oh, I was just praying. I'm not talking like, it's just this, this constant kind of communication and desire to pray when we're hurting, when we're confused, when we don't know what to do. But when we're happy, when we're joyful, we praise. It's just this outflow, just, just developing this over time. And this will take work to develop this. And heart and attitude of prayer, anytime, anywhere, 24-7 a day, he's made it available for us. And then pray with dependence. Look what it says, praying all, at, at all times in the spirit. You say, okay, I read that, Melvin, that kind of freaks me out. Is that speaking in tongues? Is that uh, about, you know, some sort of prayer language, praying at all times in the spirit? Hmm, is this something weird, strange, or, you know, something starts coming, is some other language, angelic language, or some other language comes out of your mouth? No, it's not what it means here. Out of the 21 times that in the spirit is used in the New Testament, only once is it a reference to tongues. This means here that we're praying under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Let's be honest. So many of our prayers are not under the influence of the Holy Spirit. They're under the influence of our flesh, right? We pray for this. We want that. Our flesh, our wants, our needs. Folks, God isn't like a genie in a bottle, where he just grants us our wishes that we bring towards him. And yet so oftentimes many of our prayers are like that. It's about praying in harmony, in alignment with God in the spirit. Praying God's agenda, not according to our flesh, our wants ultimately, but that God would be glorified. And, and here are two overarching ways that we can pray in the Spirit. I'll give you these words. I encourage you to write them down and maybe a guide in your praying even this week. The, the two words are glory and gospel. May all of our prayers be about God's glory and about the gospel. Infusing every prayer with these two main terms. Not just the words, but the understanding behind it. And I'll explain that quickly. It's in every situation that we're praying and we're bringing to God. It's like, God, would you be glorified in this situation? Would I increase or decrease and you increase? And would you be glorified in what comes out of this? Whether it's a promotion at work, whether it's that deal, God, would you get the glory for this? I want to keep giving you the glory. 
We submit ourselves to a God who knows best, who knows every detail. Let's face it, he's the creator. We're the creation. He's the potter. We're the clay. He knows it all. He's sovereign. He's in control. And so we come to him and we pray for him to be glorified in every situation. But then we also pray the gospel that God, in the midst of what we're praying, would you save the lost and would you sanctify the saved? Would you do a greater work in these people's lives? It's about connecting our prayers in alignment with God's heart. And his heart is that his glory would be seen by all people and that all people would be saved and that saved people we would grow, that, that, that whatever we're facing, it would be an opportunity to see our relationship with Christ strengthened. So for example, even right now, if you were just, I'm just gonna give you something to, to think about and I trust that something comes to your mind. Take even right now your most urgent, longing, hurt, fear, desire. Take your greatest prayer. The thing that grips you when you go to bed at night or in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., at 4 a.m., whenever you're tossing and turning, or when you get up in the morning or it's something that just hounds you through the day, something that if you were even to really get talking about it to someone, you would start to tear up. Take that situation, and yes, we want God to work, but ultimately, lay that over, that God, would you be glorified in this? Would this be something that others would see you, that I would see you in a greater way, in a deeper way, that I would love you in a, in a more encompassing and heartfelt way? And God, would you use this situation to bring lost people to yourself and for those who are saved, if, if we're praying for ourselves as believers or we're praying for other believers, would this be something that would strengthen their faith and cause them to grip onto the word of God and trust and persevere no matter what happens? That's the way we pray for, God, for God's glory and the gospel to impact every one of our prayer requests. Throughout the day, throughout the night, Thirdly, we are to pray for all things with all prayer and supplication. All prayer, this means pray for everything. And supplication, this is a more dialed in specific prayer. We see all kinds of prayers in the Bible. We see prayers of faith. We see prayers of agreement. Corporate prayers, prayer requests that are given. Uh, we see prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of worship, prayers of consecration or dedication, prayers of intercession. In other words, what God is saying here, I want all your prayer. Pray for all things. All prayer and supplication, give it all to God. That means that when a child is, playing, is praying for their little owie, give it to God. Say yes and amen. Remember, prayer isn't like an intercom where we are just shouting out our prayers to God. It's a walkie-talkie where then he also has opportunity to speak to us as we pray. Pray, pray, pray for all things all the time. A few weeks ago, one of the young ladies in our church was moving and, and a bunch of people showed up and she got moved in record time. It was just really cool. And then someone suggested something that was like awesome. 
didn't even think about it. And one of the guys spoke and said, hey, let's go in and have a prayer for Haley and, and in, in her new apartment. Great idea. And there was a prayer of thanksgiving that she found this nice place to live, but it was also a prayer, God, would you be glorified here in this place? Would you be honored here in this apartment? And God, may it be a gospel center where her neighbors and, and those who come in this apartment and those that she talks with would see Christ in her through her and through her friends that would come and visit. What a great thing to pray, right? Let's infuse everything with prayer like that. God is saying, I want all your prayer. Or Earhart, who's in the hospital, our oldest person in the church, just nicely 90 years old. And, and, and yes, we're praying for his healing. Yes, we're praying for his recovery. We're praying that he's able to get up. You can even be praying that he get up and start walking. He hasn't been able to walk since the surgery. And that's a, a big concern for Erna and, and, and for the family. And yes, so, so yes, we're praying, God, heal him, strengthen him, get him walking, get him out of the hospital, blah, blah, blah. We pray all of that. But ultimately, God, would you be glorified in this? Would, would this be something that Erhard and Erna would learn to love you, worship you, trust you, see your faithfulness? And God, would you be glorified in this? And God, would you save the lost people and their family through this, through the visits that people have been paying uh, to him? Would that make a difference in the lives of his daughters who don't know Christ? Would you strengthen Earhart and Erna? But, oh God, would you save the lost? Don't you see? Isn't that like so easy and yet so amazing? But this is the way we are to pray for all things, all the time. Pray, pray, pray. Pray in the Spirit. Pray according to God's will. All supplication. All prayer. This past week, I mean, Darren, uh, this showed up on, on, on a chat uh, group in, in our church this week that Darren and Sabine's dog now was hit by a car. And uh, yeah, yeah, I won't go into all the details of that. You can find out more from them. And guys went praying, praying for them, praying for Zoe the dog. Yeah, we are praying for a dog. We are praying, though, that again, God would be glorified in this. That God would strengthen Darren and Sabine as they figure out what they are to do do and how they're to care. And it looks like Zoe is surviving, wearing the cone of shame, as uh, Darren calls it now. And a uh, lot of injuries, but, but we're thankful for that. But God, would this, would this be an opportunity for the poor young mom, or I understand she's a pregnant lady, she's a young pregnant lady who was driving the car, who was so shook up, who lives around the corner from them. May this be an opportunity for them to see Christ and Darren and Sabine and, and, and to know that people were praying, yes, even for a dog, and that as we pray for a dog, we're also praying for her to come to Christ and for other neighbors. Don't you see it? Like, we can just infuse everything in this practical way, and this grips the heart of God, and he desires, I mean, this is how we pray for all things. Pray with dependence on the Spirit. Pray at all times. Pray alertly to that end, it goes on to say here, as you keep looking in your Bibles, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, watching with readiness, knowing, be battle ready, knowing that the battle is real and the enemy is going to show up in various ways. Pray and don't give up. Pray, pray, pray. And then fifthly, pray self selflessly. Make supplication for all the saints. He ends it. Saints is another word for Christian, just so you know. 
It's not for like dead people who did some good things and are you know, archived in a church somewhere. You, if you're in Christ, you're a saint. That's how God sees you. You may not live it, but that's how God sees you as saints. That's how Paul called, what Paul calls us. And so pray for all the saints. Are you praying for one another? Praying through, praying for family members, praying for other churches, praying for Christian leaders. Paul means pray for others and more than just yourselves. So oftentimes we pray, again, we pray so selfish, so such self-centered lives. My sickness, my injury, my job, my finances, my marriage, my circumstances, my fears, my hopes, my dreams, that's it. And God says, no, pray for others. Yes, pray for these things. Don't be so selfish. Be praying for others as well. I heard of a young man who was convicted about how selfish his prayers were. And so he was determined to take a whole day and not pray for himself one little bit. And so this was his prayer that started off his day. He decided to pray for his mother. And he said, Lord, please give my mother a gorgeous, rich, godly daughter-in-law. Amen. <laughs> I mean, aren't we just like, we just try to work that stuff out, you know, and, and, and twist and turn it and turn to... No, pray selflessly for others, for the body of Christ. Wednesday night, 645, we want to meet at, at, at Knox Mountain and pray for one another. We want to pray for Kelowna, for Lake Country, for Vernon, for Penticton, for this Okanagan Valley, for our nation, for our world. Pray selflessly. Adjust your schedules to be people of prayer, to devote times to prayer. Putting on the armor of God. The gospel covering, protecting every part of our lives. And he says in verse 18, praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayers and supplication, to that end, keep alert. To all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Let's pray together. And so God, I pray that we would take your word seriously when it says that we are to pray at all times. We are to pray in the spirit, in alignment with your will and what your way is. And we find what your will is. The will of God is the word of God. So may we be people who pray according to your will for your glory and for the gospel advance in our lives that we would grow in our love continually daily more and more for you and also that others would come to know you and trust you as their Lord and Savior. And God, just even we come before you as Abba Father who delights and desires to listen and to answer our prayers. You say in your word, call unto me and I will answer you and tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. It's such a gift that you've given us, God. That we can come with unveiled access to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords all because of your son, Jesus. Because he came to this earth and lived a perfect life and died a substitutionary death on the cross. The veil of the temple was torn into opening up access to God 24-7. We have that with you, God, and we thank you. And I just encourage you even here this morning to take time to confess, to repent of your self-sufficiency, your selfishness, your laziness, your lack of discipline, your lack of conviction, your lack of action in this area. And say, God, I've been trying to do this all on my own, in my own power, in my own strength. But God, I desire to live a prayer-infused life 
I pray that would be the honest prayer in your life. And as you do that, God hears, he listens, and he will answer. God, I pray that we would prioritize that time with you, that spending time with you and your word and in prayer would be just as vital to us as eating or drinking that cup of coffee in the morning. That our prayers would be greater and bolder and stronger with the armor of God put on. Would they be powerful and effective and change our lives, transform us, and change those around us through the power of the gospel. And so God, hear our prayers and may this song even be a reflection of our heart of how mighty and how powerful you are. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.